Hello, Island friends. Let me tell you about Tim Eccles. Mr. Tim loves Georgia and helped keep our rates low. He knows everything about energy and has led by example. I hope you listen to his radio show called Energy Matters. Join me in supporting Tim. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on that power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. Hey, I'm Tim Eccles. I'm the vice chair of the Georgia Public Service Commission. And at one of my favorite places, coast of Georgia, we have 100 miles of coast. And I'm sitting here under that big old bridge that you may see as you're heading to Jekyll Island or to St. Simons Island. Tucked underneath here is a white building. One of them's a Coast Guard building. The other one is our Department of Natural Resources Coastal Facility here. And I'm with Carl Burgess. He's the Assistant Director and Tyler Jones, Public Information Officer. Carl, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having us today. And Tyler, you've been on before uh, as you've talked about Coast Fest, and we'll be talking about that. Appreciate you coming on Energy Matters again. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having us. So I'm sitting here. I got, I got boats everywhere uh, that I, I look and see just little boats, big boats. I got boat in the water. Uh, what is it with all the boats? Well, it's part of our mission here. Our mission here is to uh, find a balance and, and conservation here on our coastal Georgia. So here at Coastal Resource Division, one of the divisions of DNR, we're responsible for the marine fisheries management. We're also responsible for anything you can think of regarding our marshes and our beaches. So from regulatory work to outreach to everything in between. Wow. So as we think about Cumberland Island, kind of down towards the end of our 100 miles of coast, all the way up to Tybee. That's a Tyler. That's a lot of that's a lot of territory to cover. It is. It's about uh, we have about 368,000 acres of marsh that uh, that are protected in the state of Georgia. There's 14 large barrier islands and some smaller ones. Um, so we work up and down the uh, up and down the coast. Carl, you've got all kind of employees here, over 60 employees, but you've got folks that are out doing enforcement. You've got people doing research. It's quite quite a diverse crew you've got. Oh, no doubt. We have a very diverse crew. Yeah, like you said, we have a little over 65 people that are full-time and a few seasonals. And it's a diverse group that are responsible for a lot of different complex issues here on the coast. You know, you got kids uh, at any of our universities. Maybe they're taking a marine science course. Or Tyler, how how do employees wind up working for DNR on the coast? Oh, is there is there a particular major that you would recommend? An internship? How do they how do they get here? Sure. So um, a lot of people come to DNR through through different backgrounds. We have a lot of people who are marine biologists here. Um, we have people who have studied at like Savannah State. They've studied uh, marine fisheries there. Uh, we've gotten a lot of people from UGA. We've got folks from um, all over, really. Um, I would say, really, take a look at gadnr.org slash careers, and that's a good starting point to see what kind of jobs are available at DNR and um, what what's open at the time. You know, fishing, you know, going to the beach and, and enjoying that, all of that kind of fits under your purview. I think during COVID, when I was on St. Simon's for a little while, I think I saw DNR guys riding, uh, riding four wheelers up and down, uh, maybe as a part of just monitoring things at the very beginning of 
COVID. So you guys have a variety of tasks that you're asked to do. Oh, no doubt. Under our leadership of the governor and our commissioner, Mark Williams, we stayed open and our mission continued to move forward. And we felt it was very important as Georgians to provide an opportunity for people to have an outsource to our wonderful natural resources here, not just in the coast, but throughout the state. Tyler, I, I like to do saltwater fishing. And from time to time, you guys are tagging fish, I understand, because you're doing research. And I think you had a redfish program that you were doing. Is that is that still an ongoing uh, kind of mission or operation of DNR here on the coast? It is. I think what you're referring to is an, an escapement project that we're working on right now uh, near like Wausau Sound, I believe it's in. And that's an acoustic tagging project. So it's a little different. Um, there's a, acoustic arrays that are out there uh, underwater, and they're constantly listening for these little pings. And the pings come from uh, small little nodes that go about the size of your pinky finger, maybe your thumb, and they are stitched uh, into the bellies of certain redfish that we that we capture, and we release them back in the wild, and then we can tell based on serial numbers off those pings of where these fish are moving and, and how they're uh, utilizing the estuary. There's a lot of uh, different type of fish. We've obviously got shrimping going on. We've got uh, you know a lot of co- commercial fishing. We've got uh, uh, sport fishing. Uh, there's even some right whales out there, aren't there, Carl? Definitely, definitely. Our sister agency, our wildlife resource, our wildlife resource conservation unit specifically in wild resource division is responsible for that, and they work very close with the um, both our shipping um, um, interest groups and federal partners to try to make sure that we do everything we can here uh, to make sure that 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 calving area in the North Florida and Southeast Georgia here are are protected. Let's talk about Coast Fest for a minute. It's this big event that you'll have on October 1st this year where folks can come down and really, because I've come a a number of times, I mean, it's like a teacher's paradise. I mean, if you're a school teacher, you're going to get so many different materials. My wife had this Two, two double grocery bags that she came back with coloring books and pencils and all kind of things. It really it really has as its core education, doesn't Tyler? Absolutely. So Coast Fest is, if, for people that aren't familiar with it, it's, it's pretty much our premier outreach event of the year. It's always held on the first Saturday of October uh, here in Brunswick, Georgia. Now, the last couple of years, we have had to modify it a little bit, and we did a virtual version of that. Uh, due to COVID constraints, but we are planning to be back in person this year at Mary Ross Park. So like you said, that's October 1st. It's going to be from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. downtown Brunswick at Mary Ross Park. And it's free and it's a wonderful opportunity for people to come learn about DNR, um, not just Coastal Resource Division, but the Wildlife Resource Division, uh, the Law Enforcement Division, uh, State Parks and Historic Sites, as well as our um, Environmental Protection Division will be there. Um, It's just an awesome opportunity to get a full experience about what the coast what goes on down here um, on the coast and we also have partners you know that come to coast fest that are non-governmental organizations so there's all kind of all kind of groups that come and join us for that so it's just a wonderful opportunity to come and learn about the coast you know maybe see some live animals maybe catch a show um, all kind of really neat stuff so I, I, I love it. <laughs> Carl, there are different shows, different uh, – I'm buddies with a number of your staff, and you've got touch tanks and different things. I mean, it, it really is something young children will enjoy. Oh, no doubt. And children of all ages, from the smallest of the small to the oldest child who are just a kid at heart. It's really a great opportunity. Like Tyler said, it brings together a lot of partners here on the coast to have similar missions ultimately 
to educate everyone about the greatness of this coast and all the opportunities that are out there to be part of the conservation and part of the life of this coast. Yeah, we're telling you about this in advance because if you want to get a hotel down here, you need to go ahead and make that reservation. October 1st, it's a Saturday. Come on in on Friday and then uh, enjoy Coast Fest at the park. And by the way, there are EV chargers at the park now. Uh, so you, if you've got an electric car, you're going to be able to you're going to be able to get get the juice that you need. Uh, and then we've got the all the islands that are available here uh, by driving, of course, Jekyll, uh, just around the corner and and St. Simons. And then if you make reservations far enough in advance, you can get out there to Cumberland Island. Uh, still a lot of visitors that go to Cumberland, isn't it, Tyler? Cumberland's fantastic. Um, so Cumberland is actually managed by the federal government that's under the National Park Service. Um, but it's just a fantastic island. If you've never been, definitely um, take the time to do your research. Make sure that you bring plenty of water, bug spray, sunscreen, that kind of stuff. Be prepared when you go there because it's not... Um, it's remote. You know, it does have some areas in it that are pretty remote, but it's a beautiful, beautiful island. Carl, heading north, you've got Little St. Simons, which you need to make a reservation there as well. But folks may not know you can stay at Little St. Simons. Um, other other more remote islands like Asaba, uh, which you really can't go to past the high tide mark unless you've got um, special permission. Um, Sapelo Island, we've got a DNR ferry, right? Because uh, we were involved with putting that solar array out there at the library. I've worked with DNR and others to to essentially power that library during the daytime and then feed the rest back on the grid. So that's been a great story. And then heading on up towards Tybee, which is open to the public. Uh, so uh, oh, we didn't mention Blackbeards, and we didn't mention St. Catharines that has those lemurs running around out there, Carl. That's a great point. We do have a lot to offer on all of our barrier islands here. Everything, like you said, from Cumberland Island all the way up to Tybee. Um, there's a little something for everybody. If you want to do a day trip to Cumberland, like you mentioned, or a day trip, or even an opportunity to stay overnight on Cumberland, but also Sapelo is a really fun day trip. Or there's opportunities from um, some... Um, lodging there um, we do have some of our larger islands that are a little more remote and aren't able to get to on a private entity standpoint but then again you do have things like tybee island st simons and jekyll that are easily accessible by vehicle to get to i.e a car and whatnot to get to those islands so again there's a little bit for everybody if you want to explore this coast well just uh, last minute uh Really great having you on. How can folks find out about DNR on the, on the, the web, Tyler? Sure. Um, so if you want to learn about big DNR, uh, visit gadnr.org. That's the kind of the parent agency of all of the different divisions. If you'd like to learn more about the coast, visit uh, us at coastalgadnr.org and uh, take a look around our site. And uh, if you've got any questions, reach out to us. We'll be happy to happy to help you learn whatever you'd like. So just a quick lightning round. I'm going to ask you your favorite island, your favorite coastal Georgia island, and then I'll tell you mine. Carl, let me start with you. I'm going to go with St. Catharines. I like it because it is very remote, but it also has a rich history. It's got a unique ecosystem, and it is a really amazing opportunity if you ever get a chance to go there. And Tyler, how about you? I have to tell you, it's going to be Jekyll Island. I grew up going there as a kid, and it's always had a kind of a special place in my heart. So I, even though it's not one of the most remote ones out there, but it's still a, a beautiful island, and uh, I've got a lot of good memories there. Well, guys, thanks for being on Energy Matters today. I appreciate all you do. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. Stick around. We'll have another segment in just a minute.
Hey, Tim Eccles here, host of Energy Matters. Solar's growing like crazy in Georgia, and I certainly say buyer beware. It's great to have companies like Creative Solar USA on the job. Russ, why do folks need to reach out to you? Tim, we're going on to our 14th year, and we have the best staff and most experienced installers in the state to get the job done right. You can find out more at creativesolarusa.com or call 770-485-7438. That's creativesolarusa.com. BMVW is the place in Metro Atlanta to get your used hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or fully electric car. They're located on the south side near the airport, but it is well worth the drive. Go online to look at their inventory at ev-hybrid.com and set up a time to see the vehicle or even drive it for up to three days. I don't know of anywhere else in Metro Atlanta that you can do that. That's ev-hybrid.com, the best deal in town. ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters down in Savannah at Wormslow Historic Site with Sarah Ross, the executive director of the UJ Center for Research and Education at Wormslow. Welcome, Sarah, to Energy Matters. Thank you so much for having me. This is something that's very important to me, and I am thrilled that you're focused on energy. And thank you for hosting me today. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about botany. I've learned about constructing a brick oven, uh, all the cool things that you have here. Most importantly, this new facility you're building and your desire for renewable energy, some solar on the top of that. So hopefully we're going to be able to see that get done here in the next year or so. How long have you been at Warmlow and how did you get here? I started doing research at Wormslow in 1984, quite a while ago, left and worked with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration for 12 years and did some private consulting and came back here 16 years ago as a consultant with the University of Georgia, and I'm now full-time faculty with UGA. And so you're a botanist and you're a marine biologist, marine ecologist. Uh, what I mean, marine ecology, I haven't heard those two together. That's different than marine biology? Ecology really focuses on the entire system and the relationship between all of the parts. So you can be the world's best biologist and you might focus more on an individual organism or even perhaps the, the movement of a flagellum on an individual organism. So ecology really looks at the living and the non-living and the integrated relationship between them. So today we had a chance to go into a couple of the cabins here as well as to go through your community garden. It's not called a community garden, but it's growing these heirloom plants. And in and around Athens, we have all these master gardeners. There's so many great, uh, not to mention the uh, the botanical facility that we have. But you guys really have a special mission that you're doing with these particular seeds and plants, right? 
That's right. We are growing 500 different varieties of heirloom vegetable plants every year. We grow every day of the year. And we have found by growing these plants that we're trying to bring back the traditional vegetables and fruits that would have been grown here when the colonists were here. The other thing that we've realized is we moved from the colonist plants to the African plants that came during the 1700s, early 1800s here with the slave trade. And all the African plants from Central West Africa have a very similar environment to that which is found in Africa here in the summer. Whereas all winter we grow the English, all of the British plants are perfect for our cold, wet winters. So we can grow tremendous diversity of plants and we only grow heirlooms. Wow, I know in uh, doing the research for my book, the Gullah people who were enslaved and, and came here, they did have an affinity for growing rice. They sure did. They were the the rice people. And there's only two types of rice in the world. They're all the genus Ariza. Ariza sativa is the Asian rice. That's what we are used to eating. And now it is the ubiquitous rice around the globe. But the other rice that's a very different characteristics. It's a different species. Ariza glabarima is originally from Africa and only grows in what is now the country of Mali today, so in North Central Africa. That is a a rice we are are very interested in because it is more tolerant of both flooding and drought. It's pest resistant, and the most important thing about it, it has a a tolerance for salt water. No other rice in the world is salt water tolerant to the extent that Ariza glabarima is. And with sea level rise, rice is grown along coastal areas around the globe, and this will be able to maintain the amount of calories, this traditional food source, traditional livelihood for all of these coastal communities. And I never knew there were so many types of okra. I mean, I'm a fried okra guy from way back. My mother, my grandmother, uh, they could fry some okra, and we used okra in our vegetable soup. We pickled okra, and I never knew there were so many different types of okra. Okra is a remarkable plant. It's probably one of the most useful plants that was grown in the southeast. We grow 42 different varieties of okra, but there are over 100 that we could be growing. So, for example, we grow five different types of okra this red. We grow okra, some, the largest it ever gets is three inches, and some, the Seminole longhorn okra, we grow that into 14 inches. But every part of the okra plant is edible. The flowers are delicious. The leaves are delicious. Cook them before you eat them. They're not good raw. When the the six-foot-tall okra plants are completely finished growing, you can literally build shelters out of those stems. They're almost as strong as bamboo. So save those stems. Wow. Hey, folks, you're listening to Energy Matters. You certainly learn about energy here, but today we're learning about agriculture, about botany. How about these trees that I'm looking at here? We're sitting here here on the avenue, I guess they call it, uh, um, over a mile of, uh, of oak trees that go all the way to the highway. Uh, this, is, this has got to be one of the most beautiful spots in all of Georgia. Well, it is an iconic spot for Georgia. According to the governor's office, this is the most photographed site in the state of Georgia. And this avenue is a total of a mile and a third long. 
There are 404 live oak trees that are here. The avenue was put in in the 1890s. During the time after the Civil War, many of the African Americans chose to stay on site and were paid laborers here. And they laid out this road and they built it. Most of the interesting things about the road is a perfect north-south axis. It's perfectly straight, and the trees were spaced in the 1890s, looking ahead to the future, so that today, when those little saplings in the 1890s were very, very small, it looks ridiculous. But today, the trees are spaced perfectly to have this canopy. Live oak trees, of course, what they say about live oak trees is they take 100 years to grow, 100 years to live, and 100 years to die. But we have live oaks that are here that are more than 400 years old. So these are mammoth trees. And live oak, they're green. Leaves are green all year. So they form this canopy, which is unparalleled. Wow. Yeah, we're sitting here under that canopy. One of the reasons I came down here today to meet you was to hear about the new facility that you all just recently did a ribbon cutting for and to figure out how we might be able to get some solar on that facility, just like we did on the uh, on the Hog Hammock Library in Sapelo. This is kind of a vision you have for this facility. Tell us about what you're going to be building. The Wormslow Foundation and I work with Craig Barrow and the University of Georgia raised enough money to build a research and education center here at the University of Georgia campus. It's the Experiential Learning Center. We'll be able to have a classroom which we can use as a classic classroom, but also we can reconfigure it as needed to be a laboratory. So the building has large outdoor areas and is situated between the Avenue of Oaks in the center of Wormslow and access to the Intracoastal Waterway. So we have beautiful views of the marshes and some of the most historic landscapes. Wormslow has been in the same family since 1734. They arrived in 1733 on the first boat with, with General Oglethorpe. Noble Jones was a surveyor for King George II, and so he was a very important member of that 122 passengers that came across. He brought his wife Sarah with him, his daughter Sarah, and his son Noble Jones, and they created a farm on this 500 acres, which is now part of the Wormslow State Historic Site and partly the Center for Research and Education at Wormslow, which is owned by the state and is used by the University of Georgia. just want to give, in our last minute or two, just give a shout out to your husband for the construction work that he's done on this uh, on this uh, chicken coop, on this garden, on this oven, on this house. Uh, he really has uh, done just a, a masterful job. Uh, Dana, I believe, is his name, uh, but he is one talented guy. Thank you so much for saying that. I appreciate him, and it's so nice when other people appreciate him, and he just loves contributing to exactly what we're all interested in, a sustainable site that people can enjoy and learn. You know, as we think about UGA's presence on the coast, we've got yes, we've got a skidaway facility. We have a, a facility down on Sapelo. Uh, DNR has a presence on many of these islands, working with the university. So there's a lot of things to be learned here on the coast. That's so true. And in fact, the University of Georgia has a presence all the way down to Brunswick. And there is a, a tremendous. Um, group cooperation on the coast of Georgia, unlike I've seen anywhere else in the state. I was born in Georgia. 
where the federal government, the state government, and private individuals all work very closely together, hand in glove, to save, protect, and yet open access to the barrier islands, open access so that people can learn about the marshes and the waterways, open access so that we can m- learn more about the original plantings of rice and what was keeping everyone alive in the colonial era. And if we wrap up this segment, I mean, it, these islands haven't always been accessible for people uh, because many North, Northeasterners uh, own these islands, whether it's Asaba, uh, Asapolo, uh uh, or Jekyll. Uh, so it's great to have access to all of this and for folks to be able to really enjoy it. Well, where can folks find out more about what you're doing here uh, at the UGA Center for Research and Education at Warmflow? The University of Georgia has worked with us to revamp a new website. So you can simply look for UGA Crew, C-R-E-W, Center for Research and Education at Wormslow. Thanks for being on Energy Matters today. Commissioner Eccles, I can't thank you enough. It's been a pleasure. Hey, folks, stick around. We've got another segment coming up. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Logan Booker here, producer of Energy Matters, and I want to tell you about the Advanced Power Alliance. For more than 20 years now, the Advanced Power Alliance has been leading the energy transition in America's traditional energy states. They advocate for wind energy, solar power, and energy storage, all while partnering with traditional resources to ensure that America has abundant, affordable, cleaner energy to power our homes, our lives, as well as our economy. With the growth of solar and advanced storage and power generation technologies, every state now has the opportunity to be a leading energy state. Advanced Power Alliance is proud to partner with the Georgia Large Scale Solar Association and work with the Public Service Commission, Georgia Power, and their customers as Georgia continues to be one of America's leading renewable energy states. You can learn more about the Advanced Power Alliance at poweralliance.org. That's poweralliance.org. Reducing pollution from the transportation industry is an important goal, and few alternative vehicle fuels offer the distinct advantages of compressed natural gas. I myself drive an F-150 C&G pickup. Marlin Compression, part of Marlin Gas Services, is helping to usher in this clean energy future to the Port of Savannah, too. Not only is Marlin Compression a trusted provider of CNG for fleet fueling, they are also working with Port Fueling Center on a state-of-the-art CNG truck fueling facility. Learn more about the distinct economic and environmental advantages of using natural gas for trucking fleets of all sizes and explore all of Marlin services by visiting marlincompression.com. That's marlincompression.com. Calculate your savings today. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters. I'm vice chair of the Georgia Public Service Commission. I am sitting here in Camilla, Georgia with Mr. Adams, who did one of the first big solar arrays that we approved. Mr. Adams, um, I know you're proud of this array, these uh, bifacial panels, and uh, it's just an incredible thing that you've built here. Well, I didn't build it. I just uh, am the uh, beneficial recipient of it, and I appreciate what PSC allowed it to go forward. You've got all kind of businesses. You've done irrigation, even alligator farms. How is the alligator business? Well, uh, that's my son-in-law, 
and daughter actually have it, and uh, it's, it's, it's been real well. It's been very beneficial. It's the largest in the world. They have about 170,000 alligators all in controlled by computers and inside and what have you. But uh, it's been very been it's been a very good business. Well, let's get back to the solar because this is this shows about about energy and with this solar array. What what kind of feedback do you, you got? Some pushback initially on this. Do you feel like people have come around on solar now? Well, a clearing check makes a lot of difference. And I think a big difference was the people that were not getting checks. Number one, probably with farmers who wanted to rent the land and uh, felt like that would be lost forever. And uh, then I had some people concerned from a general point of view of employment. But what we've actually done, uh, I can see where we're going to have autonomous tractors in a few years, and we will have very, very even fewer laborers on these acres of land that we have today. And uh, it's not going to be a factor, really, because what we've done is uh, in now have some higher-priced labor, and probably a little bit more time to get, get a few uh, other things to do as far as mowing and keeping up with the land. So we're sitting here in a little building outside of the array, and these are tracking panels with the sun. I mean, it's pretty high-tech stuff. Yes, sir, it is, and it takes uh, high-tech individuals to run it. So you've got a staff here that uh, go out there and manage everything. You've got a contract that you've got to put a certain number of megawatts onto the Georgia Power grid, and you pay liquidated damages if you don't, but you guys are really producing more than you need, aren't you? Sometimes more than they won't. And they have to curtail you because, obviously, they're managing electrons on the grid. What was the most difficult thing about getting this deal done? Well, I guess uh, I hate to say this, but getting Public Service Commission to really move it on because I worked on this thing about 14 years before we ever uh, finally started breaking land. And that was about four, three or four years ago. So I've, I've been fooling this thing about 18 years. And so just getting uh, uh, bureaucratic inertia so we could move forward with it. My colleague, Bubba McDonald who's about 85 years old now, he really had the political muscle. I was a new, new, newbie commissioner. I didn't have much clout at all, but I was that third vote because you have to have three votes. And Commissioner Everett, who lived in Albany, not too far from here, he was that second vote. And so I know you were excited to see things change on the commission in 13 when it changed. That's correct. And uh, I, I'm just appreciative of what it's going to do for the county. It's in Prove a tax base tremendously, and uh, I'm happy for that. And another thing, if you think about it, so many of these uh, people that uh, talk about labor, it doesn't really increase the cost of a county as far as educating people, as far as large numbers or what have you. No paved roads are needed. No services are really rented on part of the county. All we're going to do is receive the uh, money from the taxes. You heard some guys after the Rotary today kind of talk to me about taking farmland out of the inventory, but it sounds like what you're saying is that across South West Georgia, sometimes farmers were having trouble uh, leasing their land. Hey, well, the real problem is, and, and the way I look at it, what does a farmer do? They produce energy, whether it's food energy or what have you. And all I've done is just switch for type of energy that's being produced on this farm and taking sunlight, but I'm dropping water. I took 10 pivots irrigation systems out, and we've, of course, been under a lot of pressure about the water usage down here, and that helps somewhat on that. But uh, the other thing is, like I say, is uh, we just... Uh, I, th- I think long term, it's going to be very beneficial for us down here from uh, uh, every point of view. Well, thank you for being on Energy Matters. Yes, sir. I appreciate what you do. Hey, I'm now with Bryant at the same solar array, Mr. Adams array here. 
pecan orchards all around us. Uh, Bryant, uh, you are here in this building uh, by yourself today, but you've got a small little crew that works here. Tell us some of the tasks that you guys do. Mostly do operations and maintenance here at Southern Oak. It's a full-time job. Most of our day-to-day basis just includes maintenance tasks as far as inverters, arrays, substation, and then we manage the vegetation management crew as well. And then also some small troubleshooting tasks and sometimes major troubleshooting tasks. Let's talk about the small tasks, things that happen kind of on a routine basis. You guys are using thermal technology to determine if sales are bad. How does that work? How do you determine if a, if one single panel is not doing what it's supposed to be doing? When it comes to infrared imaging, most of the time, We'll have a contractor come in and they fly like a small quad quadcopter drone. And the drone's got an infrared imaging device attached to the bottom of it. And it'll fly over. It's pretty much autonomous. It flies over and uses that infrared device to sense hotter parts of panels. And if a panel has a failed cell or a failed junction box or anything like that, it'll show up hotter on the image than, say, a colder, better working cell. You've got these panels that have cells on both the top and the bottom, and y'all were looking specifically for that. Why? Bifacial panels are slightly more efficient than monofacial panels. So, like I said, more efficient. It's uh, You catch the rays that are coming down to hit the top of the panel, as well as the rays that are bouncing off the ground and hitting the back of the panel. It's uh, You can get more power out of a smaller footprint. We're talking efficiency. The panels also track the sun with uh, using a little tiny drill motor. How many, how many panels does that drill motor move, and how fast does it move? Well, it's depending on the array, it's roughly 80 panels, but it can move from... 60 degrees to negative 60 degrees in a matter of minutes if we command it to. Regularly throughout the day, it's, you know, from sun up to sundown, it just follows the sun across the horizon. Is that on a timer that you have to change, you know, with daylight savings time or something like that? Or does it have a sensor? Yes, sir. It's a it's got a pyrometer sensor on it. It's just a it follows the sun. The programming for the tracker knows based off of that sensor what angle the tracker needs to be at we've got a solar panel and we've got 80 of them in a single what would you call the single uh, unit would it be an array a rack well how do you refer to it you can refer to it as an array or a tracker what either or i'm sure there's more names for it as well so you've got the 80 panels on a tracker you've got panels uh, you know tiny cells that you have to make sure are working you've got the the drill motor do you have a lot of the drill motors go out no, sir, not very often. It's uh, This system is a relatively low maintenance. And then you've got grass growing up here, right? Uh, so uh, what's the problem with, with grass? How does it impact the performance of a solar field? So, you know, that's um, sort of an issue here in South Georgia. You know how fast the vegetation grows. But grass isn't a problem. It's uh, actually we want the grass to be there because grass is more reflective than dirt. The sun bounces off of the grass up onto the back of the panel. We want it to be a certain height, but not too high. Have you seen, uh, have you seen these pollinator arrays where they actually have flowers, different type of uh, pollinators, that maybe some beehives on the outside? Have, have you heard about that kind of thing? And is it better or worse than grass? 
No, sir, I have not heard of that, but I could see where it would be beneficial. As far as our arrays, it, we went with Bermuda grass just because of the ground covering qualities of it and to prevent erosion. But there is some natural native species that are growing in the field as well. So an array that would have, uh, or a tracker that would have 80 panels, uh, the inverter, how many of those, uh, how many of those trackers feed into a single inverter? So it varies from block to block, but usually there's 21, 18 to 21 collection boxes per inverter, and then there will be seven trackers per collection box. I guess you've got maintenance on all of those things because if it goes out, if I guess if an inverter goes out, then that is what's having a major impact. Yes, sir. That's uh, if there's a maintenance task to be done on every component of the site. You've got to have folks out here that are monitoring this and you have a skater room and kind of a, a control area, right? Yes, sir. We have uh, full access to anything we need to see uh, from our office building. And Mitchell County has not only a lot of pecan trees that we're looking out out this window, but there's a lot of arrays just like yours. I mean, you're a young person. I mean, you know, Mr. Adams, you know, he's older than I am. I'm 61. How old are you? 24. So you're 24. How do you feel about this type of energy going on our grid? I think it's a great thing. Um, it's a wonderful career that I encourage more young people to look into. I've been doing electrical work since I was 18, and I'm glad that I've moved into this sector. Yeah, so there's a lot of opportunity for engineers, for electricians. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of our unions across our state, uh, uh, the IBEW, they are looking for opportunities to get involved in clean energy. They're working on Plant Vogel now, our nuclear plant. We're seeing more solar and batteries. Have you heard much about the batteries? Batteries that are being attached to big solar fields. Uh, yeah, battery storage is a, a big thing in the renewables industry right now, and especially for Invenergy. We have several battery storage operations and sites going in all over the U.S. and all over the world. Um, we do not use battery storage at Southern Oak, but it's a possibility for any renewable energy site. Well, look, keep up the great work, Bryant, and uh, God bless you in your work. Thanks for being on Energy Matters today. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Hey, Tim Eccles, stick around. I'll be back with one more segment. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters, here with Jeff Pratt of Green Power EMC. Jeff, more and more EMCs are offering solar to their members, and you're seeing it grow like crazy across rural Georgia. Tim, you're right. Co-ops in Georgia are doing a great job of deploying solar across the state. In fact, they're leaders in the country with respect to engaging customers and deploying large-scale solar to benefit all their members. Hey, contact your EMC and ask them about their solar energy policy, or just Google Green Power EMC.
This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters. One more segment here. We're in Savannah on St. Patrick's Day at the parade. We're going to be moving here as we queue up in line. I'm with my friend and my driver today, Anna Heritage Chase. Anna, how cool is it to be back with the parade going in your hometown? Oh my goodness, this is so much fun. The energy's amazing. We haven't had the parade here uh, just with COVID and everything, so getting to see all the excitement has been so fun. A lot of noise here. The Shriners uh, are blasting music out of their vehicles and just a lot of people, just really hundreds of thousands uh, here, and we're kind of waiting for the Savannah uh, Chatham County Commissioners. We're right behind them, so we're waiting on them to come. Uh, you know, I was thinking about your Big Bond Bodega and the fact that y'all actually use kind of an alternative fuel cooking your bagels and your pizza because you use wood, don't you? We do. So our pizza oven is only wood fired, and then our bagel oven is a mix of wood and gas. So it's a really cool system to bring that wood fired flavor and element into our bagels and pizza. Yeah, so my sea turtle car will be living at y'all's place uh, for a while, and you are getting a lot of business in that area of Bull Street up there near that SCAD building. A lot of people are creating shops, businesses, museums. Uh, That's really a growing area of Savannah. It is. Starland District is growing tremendously, and we're so excited to be a part of that growth. So we're just grateful to be in this beautiful area on 37th and Bull. Anna, you and your husband have a unique occupation. He's a yacht captain. So, I mean, what is it like to be a yacht captain? And do you get to sleep on those boats and ride on them? And is it is it do you get seasick? What 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 is it? What is it like? It's definitely out of the box. We do live aboard the boats, depending on what kind of yacht program it is. Whether we're working for private owners or working for a charter company, and I get to cook on the boat and take care of guests alongside Deb who ensures the safety of everybody on board. So it's a really wonderful and unique way to travel and serve people as well. So are there a lot of yachts that are on the east coast of the United States or are they mostly like in the Caribbean or uh, I mean I just don't know that much about yachts. I know they mostly run on diesel I think uh, and, and and I see them at marinas and things but are they a popular craft to have? Yeah, so all up and down the East Coast, which is where I have a lot more experience, um, and also in the Caribbean, there is such a variety of yachts, whether it's a sailing yacht or a motor yacht, um, and Fort Lauderdale is and Miami are, are the hubs for that. However, there are super yacht marinas all up and down the East Coast, um, specifically in Florida. Um, there, there, there's Rybovich and the Old Port Old Port Cove, Safe Harbor. Um, so there, there's, there is a lot of industry to be had on the East Coast with the yachting industry. Well, wait a second. You mentioned sail, sailing yachts. So there are actually, there are actually yachts that use almost exclusively wind power. Correct. So with most sailboats, you're always going to have a backup of some sort of engine or motor. Um, However, there are some beautiful catamarans and sailboats that are that are yachts. Um, So it's it's 
they, they, there's a lot to there's a lot to see, and it'd be awesome to take you on a tour of one at some point. <laughs> so, your husband does he know how to do the sailing stuff, and have you learned that as well? Yes. Yeah, so, we actually ran a catamaran in the Virgin Islands uh, for a few months, taking guests out on charter for a week or two at a time. And so, uh, we both have sailing backgrounds. He grew up racing sailboats, and I grew up um, being a part of that as well. And so, it's been really cool to share that with people and. And teach them about the wind, wind power, um, you know, tacking and maneuvering in those conditions. So as you've traveled in all these places, have you had a chance to see solar or wind power or maybe some even different types of energy? What's been the most interesting thing that you've seen? Yeah, okay, so my favorite and the most interesting to me that I've seen are... There's some new developments with energy using the currents, having, uh, ins- installing these, I don't know what to quite call it, but I guess systems underwater to help harness the uh, ocean energy of the tides, the currents, the moving water, and harness that energy to use for whatever we might be able to use it for. You know, I've heard about these tidal turbines. Uh that are under the water in areas that has have have a strong tide both directions and they turn both ways and they're kind of like a wind turbine but underwater i think they are actually kind of have like wind turbines have nothing on the tips of the blades but i think these have a little kind of a little ring around it but this is a a really fascinating form of energy you can't, can't use it everywhere but I guess there are, and y'all learn about this, I guess, sailing boats, there are places with really, really strong tides. Yes, there are. And um, we actually have friends of friends who are helping develop these systems. And so it's been really cool to just learn more about it. Um, We are really conscious of this whole ecosystem and, and using the different kinds of energies, whether it's wind or tide, tidal energy, is so important to us as we look at developments with the future of yachting and, and using the ocean um, to help benefit and preserve it. So we're in my sea turtle car here. Folks, you may have seen it on Matters Radio Twitter handle. Uh, it's my parade car. And I have a little tiny sea turtle that sits on the dash made from ocean trash from Kenya, mostly flip-flops, uh, produced by a company called Ocean Soul, S-O-L-E. Anna, as you have gone through various bodies of water, where it's the Atlantic Ocean, the Caribbean, Gulf of Mexico, is there a lot of trash out there in the water? Yes. We see it everywhere. Uh, on the islands, it washes up constantly. It's there. Ooh, the, the Shriners, they're, they're loving life. Um, so we see a lot of trash out and about, and um, it, 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 is, it is pretty concerning. How do boat people, uh, for lack of better words, how do they, do, do they feel that they want to do more to eliminate that trash? Have you seen creative ways to collect it as you've traveled in the boats? Are there special craft out there picking it up? Or what is the solution to ocean trash? Well, there are a lot of organizations out there who are doing amazing work. One of them is Four Oceans. They actually install at different marinas um, a 
a system to help collect and bring in the trash. Marinas are pretty notorious for there being a lot of waste or things in the water that are not good for the wildlife, just from the nature of working on boats and cleaning them and keeping them up to date. So Four Oceans and other organizations like that are doing an incredible job of keeping our oceans clean and just making sure that we take care of it for the next generation. Hey, as we're sitting here waiting to step off, there's a, a big big group of young people walking towards the, the parade route. I mean, you've grown up here. You've seen this parade many, many years. You've ridden in it with me uh, many times before. Uh, what, what does the parade mean to the city? It is one of our hallmark and signature events, for sure. Um, we, I think it's just... Savannah is known as the hospitality city, um, and we are known for welcoming people um, of from all kinds of backgrounds, um, all ages, and so this is really, I think, our signature our signature welcome to Savannah event. It's we bring in people from all over the country, so it is really exciting and special to be a part of it. I mean, to our listening audience, maybe maybe you can come down here during St. Patrick's. Maybe you can't, but Anna has a couple of favorite companies. One, her family's own Big Bond Bodega at the corner of 37th and Bull. Uh, this is a fantastic restaurant. You guys serve breakfast, lunch, and sometimes you're open later too, right? Correct. So we actually just opened up a dinner service. So depending on the day, we are open all day. Um, but yeah, come and visit, come get a bagel, come say hi, and we'd love to show you around the neighborhood. And, you know, another iconic Savannah company, uh, the Savannah Bee Company. <laughs> uh, and I had a chance to uh, visit with the founder, uh, who I think is a UGA guy. I was on the UGA Board of Visitors, and we had him as a special speaker. Uh, so tell me about Savannah Bee Company. Yeah, I've had the privilege of recently joining their team to work with them on their marketing. And it has been so special to work with another company who is so purpose-driven. They're really focused on saving the bees because they are so crucial to keeping this ecosystem that we live in alive and, and well. And so it's really been incredible to, to talk about honey, but to also get to work with the bees and the amazing people who support them as well. My buddy Reed Delaney has some bee boxes by the solar array that we approved uh, out on uh, East Presidents heading out to, to Tybee. It's a cool thing. Well, look, thanks so much for being on Energy Matters. Where can folks find out about Big Bond Bodega online? So you can visit our website, bigbondfamily.com, and you can also check us out at Big Bond Savannah on Instagram and look us up on Facebook. Hey, catch me on Twitter at Matters Radio or any social media. Always subscribe to our podcast at Energy Matters with Commissioner Eccles anywhere you get your podcast. Hey, from Savannah, from the parade, Tim Eccles, you guys have a great weekend. Island friends, let me tell you about Tim Eccles. Mr. Tim loves Georgia and helped keep our rates low. He knows everything about energy and has led by example. I hope you listen to his radio show called Energy Matters. Join me in supporting Tim. 
Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your one, two, or five dollar checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you.